Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today I'd like to introduce you to Julie Ann Karens. And Julie is a mutual friend, so she was introduced to me by Brian Kurtz, another guest that's been in the show, a very, very, very respectable man. He sings Julie's praises up and down, and he introduced me to her and said she'd be wonderful to introduce to all of you. And after doing a bit of digging and research on my own, I'm actually very honored and happy to have her here. Julie is the author of the book The Abundance Code, How to Bust the Seven Money Myths for a Rich Life Now, which is published by Hay House. She's also working on a documentary on the same topic, which will be coming out next year. And she's built her own personal wealth through investing in the stock market, real estate, and different entrepreneurial ventures. She believes in inspiring others to transform themselves and their lives through practical financial wisdom, supported by a wealthy mindset so that they can achieve personal and financial freedom. Her mission is like our mission. Our mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaires. Well, she has a mission to empower people to live an abundant life free from from limiting beliefs. So she's gotten up super early from the land down under just to make this call. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Brian has sung your praises. So. <laughs> Brian's a great guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a really powerful connector as well. Yeah. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. And I know it's super early, but yeah, you're doing it anyway. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But so why don't you tell people a bit about your background? I know your story now. You've come to where you are today. You're really trying to pay it forward. You're in the middle of a a passion project out to change the world, which is so commendable. Obviously, maybe you were like when you were a little girl, you had this vision and dream, but I don't know if you were where you are today as far as the goals. And so how did that evolve? How did you get to that? Well, okay, so just to my thirst for this topic and my interest in this topic, and I had kind of an unusual childhood when it comes to wealth in that when I was really young, my parents were very prosperous, uh, quite wealthy. And when I say quite wealthy, I mean, we had a beautiful lakefront house that had been designed by an architect and my parents had very expensive hobbies like flying airplanes and they bought a couple of airplanes that we used to use to go on holidays. And I really had everything taken care of that I could want in life. Sounds terrible. Had, yeah, it was it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, an interesting thing kind of happened. When I was about eight years old, I guess my parents were about 40 at that time. And they had achieved, I think, everything that they wanted in life. And this actually caused a bit of an emotional crisis for them. Uh-huh. And I think sometimes that's not that unusual, actually. And it's something people need to be aware of to have bigger dreams than just, you know, the dream house and possessions and stuff like that. But I think in my parents' case, that was all they could imagine. And once they achieved all of their dreams, they had the conundrum, I think, that they still weren't happy. Uh-huh. And they didn't really then have necessarily an excuse for that. And so what they started to do was drink and drink and drink and drink. And basically, by the time I was 11, they 
their lives had pretty much crumbled. They broke up. And I went to live with my mother. And by the time I was 13, she declared bankruptcy. Wow. So all the money was gone. Everything had completely fallen apart. And I experienced having the shoe on the other foot with respect to wealth, which was a situation where we basically didn't have anything. And life was very, very constrained financially. I mean, huge, that's a huge adjustment, like a massive adjustment. Huge, Yeah, massive. I mean, look, don't feel too sorry for me. I always had a roof over my head. I always had food in my stomach. And I know there are people out there who don't even have that. So, but it was a massive, massive adjustment for me mentally. And so I remember when I was about 15, I decided, okay, I've experienced both sides. I've experienced wealth and I've experienced the opposite. (laughs) And I think wealth is better. (laughs) Right. I'm just eyeballing this one, but I'm going to go with option A. Yeah. (laughs) So I decided, all right, I got to figure out now I can't rely on my parents to help me out in this wealth respect. So I got to have to figure this out for myself. So what I decided was, well, I think in order to be wealthy, you need knowledge. So I suddenly got very diligent at school. Actually, prior to that, I was pretty much not going to school. <laughs> I was uh, I was skipping a lot. So I decided, all right, I, I better get serious here about this education thing. So I started to study really hard. And then I actually decided I'd be better off in Australia, where my dad was living, because the education system there at that time, uh, university education was free. So that was a bit of a no-brainer. So I I moved there when I was 16, finished the last couple of years of high school, went to university, and then spent nine years at university and studied everything that I possibly could about finance and the stock market and statistics and economics. Were you like determined to never let that happen again? Absolutely. In fact, I only know this in hindsight, but I was so driven But I was driven like a person who's being chased by a tiger is driven. I was driven by my fear of ever falling back into that situation of poverty again. I never wanted to go back there. I was very driven. And I did acquire a lot of knowledge. And I did end up, I worked at the Reserve Bank for a while, which is Australia's central bank as an economist. And then I worked in funds management in a major merchant bank. Then I founded with my business partner, Trading Pursuits Group in 2001, which is financial markets education company. We teach people how to trade global financial markets for themselves. Okay. So I've been involved in wealth creation for the past 25 years. Right. In 2008, we'd built our business up quite a bit, and we'd we'd actually borrowed some money to expand the business further. In about 2006, we borrowed some money, and it was a two-year convertible note, if you know what that is, but not to get into the technicalities of it. It was a medium-term debt instrument that matured in December 2008, and of course, the global financial market completely melted down in October 2008, and no banks were lending. So just when we had to roll this debt over, we couldn't. So we were suddenly facing the prospect of of bankruptcy, basically. At that time, I was about 40. I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is kind of interesting because I'm at the same age my parents were when they lost everything. Oh. Yeah, and it was kind of an aha moment. And I went, wait a minute. (laughs) Was it really that calm, though? Because I don't know if I'd be that. Because you're just like, yeah, I realize. Wait a minute. I would be like, ah! Like, I would be freaking out right now. I was completely terrified, for sure. (laughs) 
But at the same time, there was this light bulb going, wait, there's a clue here. This is a clue. This is a big clue. Right. I did somehow have the presence of a mind to go, all right, is it because this is what I think is normal? And to be honest, prior to 2008, I'd had quite a roller coaster ride with wealth before that point. This was just like the first time I'd really come close to bankruptcy. But prior to that, I'd made a lot of money, particularly in the real estate market. My partner and I had built up a portfolio of over 30 properties. And then I went into retail businesses and opened some takeaway Indian restaurants. Why would you do that? Why would I, you I know. I know, Daryl. <laughs> Right? Why did I do that? Retail, I cringed. Like I know, and a chain of flower shops, like highly perishable. (laughs) You couldn't pick anything more perishable than these businesses that I went into. You were looking for an adventure. It sounds like probably would have been more fun to uh, go up in an airplane and just throw money out. been less stressful right so i had made choices in my business or investment career that weren't the smartest despite teaching people how to trade the stock market because you know you know everything it happens that happens to all experts right i you start to think that you have the midas touch or something going into things that i really didn't understand especially retail businesses i didn't understand how they worked and so I'd had quite a few ups and downs, but this 2008 incident was the closest I had come to bankruptcy. And I think it was the first time that I saw that maybe there was a pattern here for me. This cycle, this roller coaster ride of wealth and loss and wealth and loss was perhaps me recreating my childhood experience because I thought that that was normal. Mm, I love that. So that epiphany led me to become suddenly very interested in the topic of subconscious beliefs and how we can take on subconscious beliefs that may represent a miscoding. We take on beliefs when we're young because we have to. I mean, we need a framework in order to understand the world. And beliefs are like a shorthand method that we use to take in a whole bunch of information and make sense of it really quickly. Right. So to help people that might not quite get that, that means that you basically, we come up with a theory of how things work and almost like a la- an imaginary ladder we build to climb a wall. We start climbing that ladder and waiting for rungs that aren't actually there. And then if we find something, if we have this theory and it's got eight steps and eight step seven is missing, then we make a new theory that's basically the first six steps, but then a new step seven, we kind of go from there. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, it's probably a good analogy because, yeah, we're trying, especially when we're really young, like, and sometimes even pre-verbal, you know, we're, we, our brains are growing really fast when we're little mm-hmm. and we need a framework. And usually that framework in the brain science is called your reticular activating system. It's the method that your brain uses to sort information and basically sorts it on what we think is relevant, important, or true. The reticular activating system will just try to make sense of the world in the quickest way possible. And the quickest way is usually to have someone tell us how the world is. Right. Our parents or our teachers or, you know, the society, the messages that we get fed, those are the ones that kind of go straight in, no filter, and become our framework for understanding the world. And the problem with that, I mean, it's very useful to us at the time, but the problem with that is that when we grow up, we don't necessarily examine what it is that we took on when we were young and whether it actually serves us in achieving the goals that we want to achieve when we are adults. Mm-hmm. 
that's something that I came to realize. And through my own experience and through working with uh, hundreds of our clients, I managed to identify the top seven limiting beliefs about money that most people have taken on in one form or another. And I call those the seven money myths. And so I go through those in the book. The reason I go through them in the book is because one of the things I discovered learning about belief change is that there's three steps to belief change. The first step is to identify the limiting belief. This is actually the most difficult step because these beliefs are subconscious. So they're below our conscious awareness. So it can be quite hard to um, right. grab it's that like tiger booger, by the tail. Face. It's how do you know right. it's in there? You can't see it. <laughs> you probably you love my analogies today. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> so the first step is to identify them. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to write the book because, you know, I think I've been able to identify the top seven beliefs. And really that is more than half the battle. Hmm. So I go through what the top seven limiting beliefs about money are. And then the second step is to weaken a belief once you've identified, say, for example, the number one limiting belief about money is the scarcity belief, the belief that there is not enough. Mm. So this is the belief that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. There just isn't quite enough to go around. The types of things you hear coming out of people's mouths when they have this belief on board is it's, it's hard to make money. I can't afford it. And even things like waste not, want not are all scarcity beliefs. Right. So if you take that belief, for example... And you want to go to the second step, which is to weaken it and insert doubt around it. One of the ways that I did that when I was working on beliefs is with the scarcity belief, a lot of it is fed by our consumption of negative media. Mm. You know, so watching scary shows and listening to the news where it's all about conflict and strife mm -hmm. and just buying into that negative idea that it's all about competition. Somebody wins, then somebody has to lose. That's all fed by the media. And if you actually unplug from the media, you can start to quiet that down. And then you can start the process of actually questioning the belief and going, hey, well, when it comes to scarcity, is that true? Is that really true all the time? Is it true for everyone? Aren't there people who have created amazing abundance in their lives? And how have they done that? Maybe I should look at that. Mm -hmm. And aren't there amazing innovations going on in science and technology that are solving previously intractable problems around scarcity? Maybe I should have a look at those and see what's happening in that field. For example, if I look at the sun, the sun pumps out 5,000 times more energy than we actually consume at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take a particularly efficient solar cell before all of our energy problems are solved. Right. And solar technology is on the exponential learning path already and quickly getting to the point where we will achieve that very soon. So does it actually make sense to believe that we're in a system of scarcity? Are we actually, in fact, in a system of abundance? Yeah, I love that you brought that up because I remember for me, I used to look, I mean, I grew up in Ontario and I used to, I have family from Toronto down to Detroit, basically through Ontario. And we used to go visit them a lot. And I remember when I would be in Toronto, especially at night, I used to love seeing the city lights from like a high, you know, from whatever floor yeah. we were on. And I don't know what it was, but I remember one night I was looking at all the cars and I was like, wow, and all those cars, each of those cars has at least one person and every one person has it 
a mom and a dad, right? Otherwise they wouldn't be right. here. And it just started to me like the scale of that started to really grow. And I, it's funny when you talked about identifying the limiting belief, because I remember when I, I mean, I've been freelance on and off and had, I've done almost every different business model there is, <laughs> but I remember once I wasn't a scarcity mindset and I was running a brick and mortar martial arts school. Uh, no, no, right. this was before that. Sorry. I was driving cab. Oh wow. This is years oh, wow. back. I was driving yeah. cab. It was when the recession hit. And we had just come back traveling the world and I was driving cab and I only did it for two months. But I remember trying to figure out like, hey, where do you find like customers, right? Like I'm in the cab driving around. Yep. Like, where do you find these people? And then I started looking around and I had the same experience when I went for to Toronto for the weekend. But I realized in every single car was a person who had pockets and in one of those pockets was some money. Right. And then I started to realize there is so much money even when I go to the mall nowadays, when I look around, I'm like, there is so much money around us right now. Like I, right. it's, it's just, anyway, just talk about how you reframe it because there really is, if you get down to it, I mean, humans, we focus on the scarcity. We talk about the scarcity of clean air, the scarcity of clean right. water. We totally overlook the abundance that's there. Yeah. I love that. So what's, give us some other, what are some of the other money myths? Sure. The first money myth is scarcity. The second money myth is that time equals money. So the only way for you to get money into your life is to exchange your time for it. And that's a big myth. Huge. So many people are trapped in playing that myth out. Because the problem with that myth is when you believe it, it chews up all your time. (laughs) And so it is definitely a trap. And I think most people don't realize that the first step of getting out of a belief is actually to identify it and then question it. It's so important to go, well, is time exchange for money is that the only way that i could get money are there other ways to get money mm-hmm. and you know the thing that can loosen this one is having people just start investing for a positive return even if they don't have very much money even going through the the mathematical process i've always loved math of just put put in a spreadsheet even if you start with say a thousand dollars right most people can scrape up a thousand dollars if you start with a thousand dollars and you know, you find a place to put that where it has, say, a 10% return and just do the math and show that if you put that 10% return back into your investment capital every year, what will happen to that $1,000 and just play it forward? I won't give you the answer because it's quite surprising and it's a great example for people to go through. We're talking about compound interest, right? Einstein had a quote. Right. That he, I think he said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing about compound interest, as with any exponential growth curve, is that in the beginning, it doesn't look like very much is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's not until the compounding starts to gain momentum like a snowball that you really start to experience massive gains in your wealth. And it takes time. It does take some time, but the key is to get started. What most people don't realize is that if they don't get started, they'll never get to that exponential vertical part of the exponential growth curve. Mm. You can't build if you haven't begun. Right. So that's the second money myth. The third money myth is the idea that your work determines your worth. Mm. Can you say that again? It's the idea that your work determines your worth. Okay. And so there's a lot of people out there who are, this ties back to our idea of deservingness and that you have to work hard for your money. Another saying that speaks to this is an honest day's pay. Right. And the implication there 
the flip side of that belief is that money that comes to you easily is somehow dishonest. And that's a very dangerous belief to have on board, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Yes. <laughs> and you would like money to come to you easily. Another myth that is not good for that is the easy come, easy go belief. That's another one that trips people up. And I definitely had that one on board where I would make money and lose it, make money and lose it because I believed that money was easy come, easy go. There's a quote, those last two beliefs, you just reminded me of the quote Jim Rohn that I think sums up because you talked about time, which that's a great money myth. I'm so glad that's part of it. Jim Rohn says, what is it? Wages will earn you a living, but profits will earn you a fortune. And right. I think that that's important to bring up because you're right. A lot of people, if you're caught up trading dollars for hours, you know, and if you feel you have to slave away to earn every dollar, you are in a box. I think this is something that a right. lot of people listening might not even realize that they're stuck in a box mentally where they're not allowing themselves to get out of that. Even if I had a hot dog cart and I sit outside of uh, the nightclub district of a city, if I'm in the right spot, I could probably sell 300 to 500 hot dogs in a night between the hours 11 p.m. and 3, 4 a.m., right? And if I only profited a dollar per hot dog and I sold like a hundred hot dogs an hour, then that's a hundred dollars an hour. You know, right. and for some, that's like what a lawyer would charge, right? Or right. a high price surgeon in that. And so just as an example, because everyone talks about the myths and the, you know, a lot of attraction and mentality, you know, mental stuff and the mental game. But I think what you're saying is really valid. And I just wanted to illustrate it just with that example, because for anyone listening to this right now, you don't know what you don't know. And that's the importance of listening to calls like this and getting things like her book and just tapping into the information that and that knowledge because personal development is really the only way you're going to get through it, right? You can't just, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is pain no. and it's suffering. Well, it's, it's frustration actually. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because this is one of the things that I really think is important is to understand the value of frustration. Mm. Most people look at frustration as a terrible evil and they're trying to make progress in life and they're encountering obstacles and things don't always work out the way that you plan and you get frustrated. The automatic response when you experience frustration is to do something different. And what I suggest to people is that when you're experiencing frustration and a lack of flow in your life, it's actually not the time to do something different. It's the time to believe something different. It's an important distinction. Yeah, very. Can you expand on that a little bit? All right. The way I look at it, let me just give you an analogy. The way I look at it is talk about the tree of abundance, that everybody has a tree of abundance in their life. And if you think of that tree, the tree is sitting in soil, okay? And the soil is like, you know, your environment and the influences you allow into your life. The quality of the soil, the quality of the fertilizer is paramount to growing a really big, fruitful tree. Right. Okay, so you've you got to look after your influences. That's step number one. Then the next most important thing is the roots. And the roots of the tree are like your subconscious beliefs. You've got to make sure that they're sorted out, that they're well-grounded in the soil, that they're not attached to rocks, that they're not limited. Like I give the example of a bonsai, for example. Bonsai is a normal tree that only grows to be a tiny little tree because it's put in a very limiting pot. Uh So you want to make sure that your beliefs are unlimited so that your tree can grow really, really big. Right. There's animals like that too. I think like there's turtles and stuff that they'll only grow to fit the size of the cage that you give them. Oh, right. Yeah. It's a great, great thing to understand because this is a natural process. Right. And then moving up the tree, you've got the trunk of the tree. And the trunk of the tree I see as the very important aspect of attitude. 
do you take responsibility in your life or do you blame? So that's important. And then as we go up the tree, we get to the branches and the leaves. And that's the photosynthesizing part. I make that analogous to people's knowledge and action in the world. Okay, so you have to take knowledge and action in the world in order to basically take advantage of your environment or photosynthesize in the case of a tree. But when you want to grow a tree and create great fruit, you do not start by watering the leaves. You water the roots. Right. You make sure the soil is good and you water the roots. And so that's where I think people trip up is they automatically go to what, what should I do? What should I do? And that's like watering the leaves. Uh-huh. It's better to pay attention to your environment, your influences, make sure all of that is right. Sort your beliefs out and then you can grow your tree of abundance. And the knowledge and the action you need to take in the world will kind of appear on its own. In a way. I like how you said that because if you think about it, all metamorphosis starts on the inside. When a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it goes into a cocoon. Even if you think about your body, like if you have an injury, like you get a cut, you can put a Band-Aid on it, but the healing has to start from within the body. And so when you're just, when you're explaining that, just in, you know, and even I know some people, they talk like if you've got health issues, oftentimes it's cleaning up your diet, cleaning up the products that you're using. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that stuff. And it's, again, it's just, it's dealing with the, not with the symptoms, but the the actual root causes and having a lasting transformational change from inside. So it's also kind of a trajectory thing. Like if a cannonball, if you're shooting a cannonball, you know, a small change in trajectory will be huge on the, on the other end of it. So Right. Healing the body is a great analogy is that, you know, the body knows how to heal itself. And once you know that you're living in an abundant system, actually abundance knows how to create itself. You just need to provide the right conditions. Similarly with your body, if you provide the right conditions for your body to heal, it will heal all on its own. If you provide the right conditions for abundance to take root in your life, it will take root all on its own. Hmm. I fully believe that. Awesome. I've, I've experienced it. So I totally agree with it. I yeah, fully and totally agree with everything you said here. So do you have any tips for people? I mean, obviously you've been training people, hundreds of people, potentially thousands of people and helping them. Do you find that people get caught up in the same places? Like, cause they've got these yeah, beliefs. hundred percent why I wanted to write the book because I kept coming across these seven core beliefs. And as I said, you know, the most difficult part of belief change is identification. The next step is inserting doubt. So with every one of these seven money myths, I spend a chapter actually going through with with the reader and inserting doubt. So I use data, you know, I'm a very logical, analytical person. I do love math and statistics and everything. So actually analyze the situation. Is this true? And try to logically shred every single one of those myths. And then the third step is actually the easiest step for people, which is to overwrite the belief Uh, the limiting belief with a new belief that's not limiting. So there's a little process to make sure that you're choosing a belief that's not limiting. That's not very hard. And then the overriding part is very, very easy. And I'll just share one technique. I share seven different techniques in the book, but this one is really super easy and anybody can do it. And so say you have, let me just take one of the money myths. Okay. And This is one I had on board. It's money myth number five. It's the myth that money is easy come, easy go. Uh Money in, money out is another way of saying this one. Okay. One step forward, two steps back. That's another way of saying it. Okay. So this myth I changed from money is easy come, easy go to money is easy come, easy grow. 
which completely changes the the paradigm. Yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. Just changing one word, and simplicity is always great when it comes to belief change because the subconscious mind is a very simple machine. So easy come, easy go to easy come, easy grow. What I do is I just write that on a piece of paper and I put it beside my bed. And then I wait until I'm sleepy. So I'm just about to fall asleep. And this is a time when the the veils of the conscious mind are beginning to part and we actually have more direct access to our subconscious. So I'm getting groggy and sleepy and I pick up the piece of paper and I read it to myself a few times. And then I feel what it would feel like to actually have that in my life. So not just reading it consciously, but I go, okay, if I, if money's easy, come easy, grow, what's that going to feel like in my life? Just spend a bit of time in that space and then go to sleep. And then in the morning, as I'm waking up and I'm still groggy, I just do the same thing. Pick up that piece of paper, very first thing, read that to myself and spend a little time feeling into how that would feel in my life. And that's it. I mean, it's, deceptively simple and yet it really really works you know i'm actually going to share my own testimonial about that process because i learned of that through the book think and grow rich and one of the things that you're supposed to do is create your personal mission statement and when i said that about changing your beliefs i really believe that i went to an event one of my mentors events at a time and he had a thing up on the wall like if you want to be broke hang out with nine broke people right because everybody knows like just because you let your kid hang around with crackheads doesn't mean your kid's gonna do crack but your kid's gonna have but a crackhead pretty problems. good chance right yeah and then, <laughs> even if they don't they're gonna have crackhead problems because that's who they're surrounded with because right. you catch things from people book 48 laws of power infection is yeah. It's real. You catch attitudes, beliefs from people, just like you catch a cold from hanging out with someone. So you catch right. attitudes, beliefs, excuses, all that sort of stuff. So I set a personal mission, even part of why I started this podcast to continue that was I wanted to meet nine millionaires. And I did that. And then after that, while I was still on my journey with Think and Grow Rich, I had a personal mission statement and I would read it every morning and every night. And I would actually have it uh, pop up. I had a reminder on my phone pop up Fantastic. over and over and over again. And it was, I will generate over $1 million in annual recurring net income by April 14th, 2014. I will sell ideas and information products, digital and or paper and ink, to provide large groups of people suffering from serious or urgent problems access to solutions from world-class experts. Using the T times C equals money formula, I will employ automated systems to generate leads, nurture prospects, make sales, fulfill orders, provide aftercare, and upsell, giving me a financially secure, long, happy, healthy, joyful, and wealthy life. And that was my mantra. And I read that every Woo. morning and every night. And then I Fantastic. actually... The how this podcast started was I had, was a little bit bummed out. It was early April 2014, and I'd been making more money than I'd ever made in my life, but I was nowhere near a million dollars, right? Yeah. Because I set the goal, I'm going to generate a million dollars. And I was feeling kind of bummed out. And then I was talking with a friend, and they were like, well, Daryl, what about this campaign you're doing? With Because I was working with a client full-time at the time. And I was like, yeah, how is that Evergreen campaign doing? And I took a look, and this is like April 2nd, April 3rd, uh-huh. and I read, and it had done $1.4 million. We were going to hit 1.6 with a net of like $1.2 million by the 14th and I was I did it I couldn't believe I did it and then you know the company as a whole and then I realized that the company as a whole as their marketing director I had helped them generate 3.5 million dollars and they were on the verge of bankruptcy when I started with them so to do a complete turnaround and do 3.5 million dollars and that was because of the new beliefs from the people I associated with exactly what you're talking about overcoming my self-sabotaging thoughts behaviors and that little tip that you mentioned every morning and every night for like a year and a half again for anyone if anyone on this call I don't know it worked for me i would it's a power tip that's for sure it's deceivingly simple 
deceptively simple. Absolutely. And people will often discount it because of that, but do not make that mistake. It is the best way for you to rewrite your beliefs that they're really, I mean, there's other ways. And as I said, I mentioned six other ways in the book, but that one, there's no, oh, I can't do it because this, or, oh, I don't have time. Like, sorry, there's no excuse. You can implement that one. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's so easy and it's self-directed and it can be as long or as short as you like. But if you don't do it, you're going to get no results. So right. that's awesome. So how about for you? What have been some of your, I guess, these the seven things have been your biggest obstacles? Like, how did you figure them out? Well, basically, I just I sat down. I went over my entire life. I did a complete inventory of all the things that I felt had stood in my way, all of the times when I had felt frustration and basically dug into what was going on for me and what was underneath the hood, basically. And then I did the same thing with a whole bunch of clients and narrowed it down to these seven. And not only are these the top seven, but maybe won't go into too much detail about why this is, but they're like sequential gates in the process. And so Mm. what I find is that a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, will have possibly bumbled their way through the first one or two or three of these myths, but they don't realize what is waiting to trip them up on their path. And you really need to knock over all seven to make sure that pretty much cleared the path for your abundance and financial freedom. Yeah, because you're not going to get there with obstacles in your way. I mean, you can try, but I think it's like trying to run a marathon. You know, you're going to get a lot farther, a lot faster running on pavement than you would running through a swamp. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, so this is basically the fast track blueprint to just kind of clear the path, then can really make some amazing progress really quickly. That's the other thing is that I think that people think that change is quite a slow process. And it is if you're changing what you do instead of changing what you believe. If you change what you do instead of changing what you believe, you actually end up on the same cycle over and over. It just looks slightly different, right? right. And the same patterns but they just come in different costumes. Hmm. Whereas if you change what you believe and then you change your life completely very, very quickly. And that's something that I, I want people to understand is that when you go in and you rewrite your subconscious code, you're basically rewriting the computer of your life to do exactly what you want it to do. And until you do that, That's why I love this quote from Carl Jung. And the quote is, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. That's so, so, so true. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a good quote. Can you read it one more time? Okay. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Part of why I like that is just even like we talked about that tip of reading that goal every morning, because I think when you read it every morning and night, part of how that works, and this is just theory, I don't have any data to back it up, but I think it's because when I would read mine every morning and night, and it would pop up even a couple of times a day, I would think about it and then think about what I'm doing. And then I would have an emotional reaction. 
Like I would, yeah. some days I would read it and I'd be like, that's not possible. Yeah. And other days I'd be like, how could this be possible? And I think just by keeping that focus, the interesting Jim Rohn, I love Jim Rohn. He has a quote that, you know, like you can change, he's like you, you can change your life any second. Humans are the only creatures on this planet that tomorrow you can wake up and decide you want to be a ballerina. You want to be a figure skater. Right. You want to be an astronaut. You want to be a CEO. You want to be an athlete. Whatever you want to decide. A dog is a dog and it will only ever do the handful of activities a dog does. A fish is a fish and will only ever do the handful of activities a fish does. Humans can do anything anything that we yeah. want to do and when you wake up and you t- change and when you talk about changing your belief you pick a new direction and i think that's even like when i would read that statement every morning and night i would remind myself during the day i would be working on stuff and i'd be like wait 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 i shouldn't be working on this that's not the direction i'm going in. right and you it's move in the compass. direction that you're facing you're just getting yeah. started getting started is so powerful so yeah. how would you recommend someone use your book if i've got this book okay i got these seven myths like how do i use it for maximum effectiveness Yeah, sure. Well, I've pretty much baked that into the book. So at the end of every chapter, there's a section that's called Digging Deep, which kind of guides people through a process of digging down and figuring out what's underneath the hood. And then there's a section of action steps. So that basically accompanies every single chapter. And then we go through the book. And the way that I structured the book, basically here was my my goal. I wanted the outcome to be that someone would read my book and they could go into the book with a whole bunch of money myths and scarcity mindset beliefs in place. Just through the process of reading the book, they actually would be reprogrammed for abundance and success. So that was my goal. That was kind of a big, mm-hmm. <laughs> a big, big dream for a book, really. The way that I've structured the book with that three-step process of identifying the beliefs, weakening them, and overriding them, the book basically does step one and two. It identifies the beliefs for you, and it helps you weaken them just by reading the book. By the time they get through the seven money myths part and into the how do you construct a new belief that's not limited and how do you install that new belief, and I give seven different techniques for installing a new belief, most of the work is done. And then really all the person has to do is take the new belief, and I give lots of examples if they can't think of a solid new belief themselves, and I provide a lot of examples. All they really have to do is take that and do that sleepy mind method or one of the other methods that I do in the book and it's done. The job is done. Really? Yeah. That's so simple. (laughs) I know. I know. And that's why I'm so excited about it because I have read a lot of books in this space of personal development. And there are a lot of excellent, excellent books out there. You mentioned Think and Grow Rich. There's another great classic by Joseph Murphy called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. Anthony Robbins has, you know, some amazing content around beliefs. NLP is a great field. There's a lot of content out there, but I actually hadn't seen anyone put together the quick start guide. Hmm. Basically, here's your top seven beliefs that are probably holding you back. Here's how to how to knock them over. And that's like the 80-20 rule. That's really what I was trying to achieve for people. And I think it's really, really, really important. And you mentioned Think and Grow Rich. I'm a huge advocate for that. And with the mindset stuff, like a lot of people talk about the law of attraction and that, just to speak very candidly, I don't believe that there's a one fix, trick, fix all. But I do believe mindset is a huge part of it and that they're all interconnected. Like Think and Grow Rich, I really am an advocate for all 13 principles of Think and Grow Rich. An auto-suggestion is your internal dialogue. 
it's that auto belief system that you have, what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's extremely powerful. And you have to do this. Even if people here think that this is kind of woo-foo stuff, you know, I'm going to say it's it's hard when you start entering the realm of subconscious. It's hard to get hard data on it. Yeah. You can have correlative data, but not quantity, right? Or what am I trying to say? Causative. Cor- causative, right. You can have correlation, not causation. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. But I really, truly believe Thinking Grow Rich is based on 20 years worth of research. And it's not an a la carte system at all. You need all of them. And if you are lacking, if you don't have the mindset, that is a critical piece. You can have the mastermind group. You can have yeah. the persistence. You can have the faith. Yeah. Although you won't really have strong faith if you don't have the mindset piece, which plays into yeah. the auto-suggestion. When I, I did martial arts, train competitive people, train with world champions i've trained with olympians and yeah you can you will lose a match in martial arts or in competitive sports in general before it even starts if you know like we used to do that in our training at one of my mentor school i loved it when i went there it was the first time i ever had this when we would rest so we'd be training and we're sparring and we're fighting right we would have breaks but in the break period it was a drill it was like a minute of fighting and 30 seconds of rest or something like that in the drill we would mean mug each other we would stare each other down right and it was and it was funny because when you would do it you find your thoughts changing and like and the very first time i did it there was doubt in there. There was, I, I would say things, but it was like I was puffing myself up. But as I yeah. did over and over again, this deep sense of confidence grew. Yeah. And there's a lot of power in a look and in a stare. And I've seen it oh, happen yeah. in competitions. Guys get psyched out mentally and they just, yeah. they to, you know, your body will never be stronger than your mind. If you're running a long marathon, if you're doing any sort of demanding task, your body will never carry your mind if your mind gives up everything else gives up yeah and that's like you said these self-limiting beliefs i think it's a really 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 important part because it's the foundation of the habits that you have and the actions that you take and the decisions that you make and it's just like you said if you believe that time is money and just like the hot dog analogy i gave then you would never even consider that or you know but with a different perspective and a different belief suddenly you might look at the doctor and sure the doctor can have a six figure a year salary right but if they don't show up for work every day it's still time for money Right. And I mean, that's where most people go with the time. Time is money and work equals your worth. Where, you know, if I have to exchange my time for dollars, then I'll just have my time worth more dollars. Right. And so I'll go away and I'll get education. I'll become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. And that whole process pretty much chews up a life. Yep. Really power of changing those beliefs and loosening them and and allowing less limitation in there that can be the difference between you spending your entire life getting an education paying off your education being on that treadmill of hours for dollars just taking stock early and going well how could i break free from hours for dollars and actually creating a fantastic venture that does that for you That's such a powerful concept. You've given a ton of gems. And of course, we can't go through the entire book on the call, Julie. But we've already covered three really big ones that point you in the right direction. And again, whether you're into, you think this is woo-foo, fooey stuff or not, I'm telling you here that I already gave my personal testimonial that mindset stuff is huge. You know, whether it's Julie's book or whatever training you think see fit, I think it is an important part in your development and your career. Well, I just want to add my testimonial which is, you know, we were facing bankruptcy in 2008. I went into my own mindset and rewrote everything and was able to go from 2 to $3 million in debt to no debt and $3 million in the bank within a period of four short years. And those years were the years immediately following the global financial crisis where Everyone basically the economy was in a recession. So it wasn't a favorable business environment. 
that to me is the power of doing this kind of work. It's not woo woo because you're going to see the results in your bank account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that no, makes and it in your real. life. And yep. in your life. Exactly. That kind of makes it real. And your subconscious starts to look for stuff. Like if you've had a fight with a partner or, you know, when you get into something, if you start a new sport or something like that, you just pick up it more around you more often. And it's because you don't even notice that you're looking for it. I mean, that's everything starts with a thought to begin with, right? Yeah. If you're hungry, you think about what you want, and then you go create it. And it's the same thing. So good ways or bad ways, your thoughts will affect your life. So um, Julie, you've given a ton of great value. How do people get your book? How do they get in touch with you if they've really resonated with your message and they're like, all right, I want to go through these seven book is worth, you know, it's peanuts to buy a book. So how do they get the book and how do they get in touch with you if they want more? Sure. Well, the book is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. So they can go on there and just look up the abundance code. I also have a website I put together called the abundance code On that website also is a link where people can find where they can buy the book. But in addition to that, I've created a series of five videos for people. So if they go and put their email address in, in that five-part series, I go through every single one of the seven money myths and explain them in more detail. So there's that. That's awesome. So again, the website was theabundancecodebook.com. Got it. Or go to Amazon and do a search for The Abundance Code. Julie Ann Karen, C-A-I-R-N-S. Is that correct? Yeah. You can also find me on Facebook, Julie Ann Cairns. And like me on Facebook and I give updates to people all the time through my Facebook account and Twitter at Julianne Cairns also. That's awesome. Julie, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? I don't know. I think that this was an awesome interview. I loved it. It was such a great back and forth. Fantastic. Thank you. you. Well, you've got a ton of value to give. And like I said, this is bringing it back full circle here. I talked about my personal mission statement. I read morning, afternoon, and night. And when I was the same friend, we were out for coffee after I'd done it. And he said, you know what, Daryl? You know, if I knew the people you knew and I could have the conversations with them you're having, I would be doing multi-million dollar campaigns as well. And that's part of what sparked this and my, my mission right. to create 200 new multimillionaires. You'll do better when you know better. And some people, they may not have access to someone like you, right? And so thank you for just coming and sharing wholeheartedly. Of course, we're offering people your book. But I mean, if you're putting years of your knowledge into a book that's going to cost like, what, 10, maybe, maybe 20 bucks. Like, it's just yeah. it's, books are such a good investment. And the book you don't own, you can't read. And the book you don't read can't help you. Exactly. It just is what it is. So, Julie, I just really value and appreciate you having come and shared this with me. It's a good refresher for me as well. I'm definitely not perfect, so I definitely benefited from the hour of your time. I know you could be doing other things, so thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You've reached the end of our interview. Now first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, What can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website 
bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast, and if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself, and remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.